0: Lord, that's our heart. You would have your way in us, Lord, that Father, we know that without you, we can do nothing. It's all you and none of us. And Lord, I pray that as we go to your word right now, you administer to every heart that's here. We thank you that we're all here by divine appointment. Nothing happens by chance in your kingdom that your word is right on time. We ask these things, and you're holding your precious name, we pray. All God's people said. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a seat. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get you one. If you have your Bibles, turn to numbers 32. Continue our verse-by-verse study to the Old Testament. And hopefully my notes won't blow away like the last time I was out here. That's alright. And trust in the Holy Spirit more that way, that's good. Um, yeah, thank you. Put that clip here just in case that started happening. There you go. Praise the Lord. Alright, Numbers 32. This is a phenomenal chapter, as, as I probably say every week, because every chapter in the Bible is phenomenal, because God put it in there, amen? But this is a chapter that really ministers to what it means to live a Spirit-filled life. And as we, we've been going through Numbers, we see that the book of Numbers is about numbering people, that they would be accountable before God, that they would have lives that counted before the Lord. And we've seen through Numbers that they've been wandering in the wilderness, but Sadly, though their lives were to count for God, they missed out on God's highest. And why did they miss out on God's highest? Because they began to look away from God and look at their circumstances. And as we know, they began to murmur and complain against God. And finally, when they got to the place where they were to enter into the land of promise, that 11-day that journey turned into a 40-year death march because they didn't heed the words of God. They were outside of, of Canaan. They were about to enter in. And as we all know, they, they sent... Twelve spies in, and the spies came out and told them that there were giants in the land. And sadly, we saw that because of the words of ten men, they disregarded the word of God. They took the words of ten men who who were faithless and listened to the woeful words of men instead of the faithful words of God. And because of that, they were not able to enter into the land of promise. And because of that, they wandered aimlessly in the wilderness until that entire generation dropped dead. Now we've been watching as they went along that even after God brought victory, they would continue to real quickly murmur. Because that next generation we know was brought right back to the same spot, and as they were there, they were obedient to the Lord, and they did fight Canaan, and they defeated them. But if you'll remember, right after they defeated the Canaanites, the very next thing that happened, in the very next verse, it says they murmured against God and Moses. And God sent fiery serpents into the camp, if you guys remember that, and the serpents bit them. And the only way they could be healed, they had to look up at what? A pole, a serpent on a bronze pole. Bronze, always in the Bible, judgment. They looked up at the serpent. And it'd be, it's interesting that the serpent, who was you know Satan in the garden, a picture of sin, that they would look up at sin to be forgiven for their sin or to be freed from it. But we know that it says of Jesus that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And so they had to look to the cross to be saved. And yet again, God continued to bring them victory, but... As they wandered through the wilderness, they would have victory, and then right behind a victory, they would blow it. We know that they won some more battles, and then right after that, Balaam tried to curse them. He was unable to curse them because God wouldn't allow it. So then he sent the women into the camp. Remember that? And these guys fell for the women, and they started worshiping idols just so they could be with the women. That sounds a lot like guys today, right? They'll worship idols and do whatever it takes to be with the women. And so that's what happened. And we know because of that that God brought a plague amongst the people and 24,000 of them died. And we also know that Phineas, praise God for him, he saw Zimri, one of the, you know, one of the leaders in the camp, he brought one of these harlots back with him right into the tabernacle and, Zim, and, and Phineas saw it and he picked up a spear and he threw it right through him, cleansing the tabernacle or cleansing the temple. God is serious about sin, you guys. Amen. Sin isn't something we just play with. Oh, we've been forgiven, so we can live in it. And we're going to see some more of that tonight. But what's interesting to me is all this time as they've wandered through the wilderness, they continue to go back and forth between living in victory and blowing it. Living well with God and then blowing it again. Having one battle that they would win and then walking away from God. And maybe in your mind as you're here tonight, maybe that describes your walk with the Lord. You feel like sometimes you're doing great with the Lord and other times you're just blowing it and you feel like a Christian yo-yo, back and forth all the time. When you think of hypocrite, you think even of your own life sometimes. You think, man, I, sometimes I do so well with the Lord, and sometimes I'm so dry, and it's such a struggle. Well, last week in chapter 31, we talked about the sanctified life. The sanctified life is a life that is set apart unto God. Not only are we saved, but God desires that we be set apart unto Him, that we live holy lives. And we saw some examples of that, that they were to be faithful in the battle and led by the Spirit and continue to grow in their relationship with God. Well, when we get to chapter 32... It's awesome what has happened. Remember that they had just won a battle. Remember that 12,000 guys went out, out of 3 million people, and those 12,000 guys won a victory. They went and fought an army much larger than them. God delivered them completely. All 12,000 came back. They'd won this great victory, and God blessed the entire congregation. He gave half to the 12,000, and the other half He gave to the rest of the 3 million people. And so too it is in ministry. So often it's 12,000 doing all the work. It's that small percentage doing all the work for 3 million. The, the faithful few bless the many. But at the same time, we'll notice that the faithful few were more blessed in the way that God ministered to them. And again, as we saw with the Levites, those who minister to the Lord are encamped closest to the Lord. You want to get closer in your walk with God, start doing ministry. Amen? Start serving people. Start ministering to people. Start laying down your life for people and you will grow closer to God. So this next generation is about to enter into this land flowing with milk and honey. They've just won another battle. They've removed all the harlotry out of the camp. Remember, God told them to wipe out all the women. They brought them back into the camp. He said, wipe them all out because they're the source of your sin. Cleanse the temple. Cleanse the tabernacle in a sense. And so there they are. They're about to enter into the land of promise. And sadly, again, we're going to see that there are going to be those who are distracted by fear and and worldly temptation, and a lack of faith in what God has for them. They're going to think they know better than God, and they're going to miss out on God's highest. So I titled the message tonight, The Spirit-Filled Life, Entering Into, or Entering In Completely to All that God Has for You. Sadly, most people miss it, and they miss it for a couple reasons. Here's a few. A desire to stay where it's comfortable. There's that, that we're going to see that in the text tonight. There's this, this desire so often just to be comfortable. I just want to rest and be comfortable. I don't want to be stretched. But you know what? If you don't stretch, you can't grow. Amen? And too often, we just want to rest and be comfortable. Often, we're so focused on ourselves that we miss out on ministering to others. We'll also see that when we get our eyes off of God, we leave our families behind. We start trusting in the things of the world instead of trusting in God. We're going to see that God will never force His highest on anybody. We're going to see that our sin will find us out, and God literally, in His permissive will, will let you camp wherever you want. You know, one of the things about our God is He's not going to force you to grow. He won't. He won't force you to grow. He won't force you to obey. He's a loving and a gracious and a merciful God. He desires that you would seek after Him with your whole heart, but He doesn't force you. If He forced you, you'd be a robot. He doesn't force you. He gives you the opportunity to know Him better. And what a clear picture this is tonight. So as I've been studying this, I just pray it blesses you half as much as it's blessed me. So let's begin in verse 1, looking at the Spirit-filled life, entering in completely to all that God has for us. So in the first five verses, we're going to see that we're not to just stay where it's comfortable, that God desires to do more than that. Look at verse 1. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had very great multitude of livestock. So what do we know about them? They're blessed and they got a lot of stuff. Now often we think that that is the ultimate. I want to be blessed and have a lot of stuff. Because when I'm blessed and I have a lot of stuff, then I'll be happy, right? And we know the Bible says that, you know, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace. It's the Holy Spirit that brings joy. The world can bring temporary happiness, but it will fade because your circumstances will very rarely, if ever, ever be perfect. If you're waiting for your circumstances to be perfect, to be happy, you're not going to be happy very often, amen? And so we see here in this text that these guys are wealthy, great, that, you know, the, the spoils have been divided, they've got a lot of cattle. So watch what happens with this excess of wealth. Again, it's often in these times of great physical blessing that we become satisfied physically and complacent spiritually. Look what happens. It says, when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed was a place of livestock. So here they are, they got a lot of livestock, and they see this land right in front of them, and they're intrigued by it. Verses 3 and 4. Adaroth, Debon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elielah, Shebom, Nabo, and beyond, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. So they turn and they say, Look, look, we've got livestock, and look what's right in front of us. Perfect land for livestock. And not only that, it's paid for. It's paid for because the battle had just been won on that ground. The enemy had been wiped out, and they thought, How sweet is this? Free land that's perfect for us. You know, the same thing can happen to us. Often in our walk with God, God wants to do something great, and we start getting moved by our circumstances. We'll, be, we'll look around and say, not by the will of God, or by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Let's move over there because housing is cheap. So we, we just got to get out of Santa Cruz County. It's just too expensive to live here. And let's go live somewhere where housing is cheap. Now, we can do that, but make sure that the Holy Spirit is leading you, not cheap housing. Amen. What happens? These guys come along and they see the land and they go, hey, it's paid for. It's free. It's perfect. Let's grab it before any of the other tribes think about it. It's ours. Let's jump all over it. Sometimes we'll see that there's a good job waiting or the easiest, most comfortable path. And it's the most pleasing thing in the world to our flesh. But you'll notice that these guys right here who want this land, we don't see them seeking God at all, do we? There's no prayer involved here. It's just, hey, that's good land. Looks good physically. It's perfect for me, I want it. God indeed may want you to move, but make sure you move by the Holy Spirit, not your fleshly desires leading to you, you into what is most physically comfortable. And you know what? When we're physically comfortable, we're spiritually complacent. You know what? I can tell you right now that there are probably 10, 15 people sitting out here right now who can get up and tell you about a time where they were making a decision or they made a decision based on what would be easiest for them physically, and then they dried up spiritually. And I want to encourage you. I know we live in maybe the most expensive place to live in the United States. Nobody here would live here on purpose, amen, unless God brought you here. Because this place is ridiculous, I tell people what you pay for a house out here, and they just fall out. You got? Is that a neighborhood? No, that's one house, and so not a very big one, right? And you know, and they go, well, it must be the, you know, it must be the, the, It's such a a great place to be a Christian. Well, no, that's not true either. Amen. I mean, this is the, you know, we know not a very godly place. But you know what? God brought us here by divine appointment, and God has us here to be salt and light to this place, and the blessed place. To take a halogen light is the darkest place around. Amen. When you come here, again, Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, may God bring revival here. But we can so easily be moved by our circumstances and say, well, it's cheaper to live in Modesto. Right. It's cheaper to go buy a house somewhere else. You know, let's just get out of here. And again, if God is moving you, then be moved. But make sure it's the Lord. Now watch this part, though. This is the key to almost the whole chapter. Look at verse five. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession and do not take us over the Jordan. Some of the saddest words in the Old Testament, this may seem like a really innocent request, but it showed incredibly and disturbingly how indifferent they were to the word of God. 400 years earlier, God had promised this land to Abraham. He had promised it to Isaac. He had promised it to Jacob. The generation before them was encamped outside the land, and they wouldn't go in, and they were struck down dead. Now these guys have gone through one battle. They're right there at the very spot where they can enter into the land flowing with milk and honey, the land that God has for them, and they see something physically pleasing, and they say, you know what? Forget it. Just, we don't have to cross over the Jordan. We don't have to be radical for God. We don't have to do everything He says. You know, what if we're just kind of close to God's highest for our life? What if we just camp a little bit outside of it? We don't have to be that radical. We don't have to be, you know, one of these Jesus freaks. We can, we can just sit outside here and be comfortable and be real near. God's over here somewhere, you know, and, and we're just right here and we're comfortable. You know, sadly, I think that that describes much of the church today. That they're comfortable living outside of God's highest. God had this plan. It was the land of promise. It was according to the divine word of God. It was the word that Israel, you know, based its entire existence upon. It was God's highest. God had divine appointment for Israel with Canaan, as we know in the Old Testament. They're pictures or types, and as we've been going through Numbers, we've seen that Egypt is a type of what? The world. Egypt is a type of the world. They were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. We then saw that Moses came and was the deliverer. Moses being, in this case, a type of whom? Of Jesus Christ. We then saw Passover was what delivered them out of bondage. And we know it was the blood of the firstborn lamb. The blood had to be applied. They couldn't just kill the lamb. The blood had to be applied in the shape of a cross. And then when it was in the shape of the cross... The angel of death would pass over, so Egypt is the world, and they were delivered out of bondage by the blood of the Lamb. Again, a picture of Christ and a picture of what happens to us. But then we saw as they began to head out into the wilderness that they crossed through the Red Sea. The Red Sea, in this case, is a type or a picture of baptism. Because it was a time when they passed through the water, and they were making a step, step or a stand for God. They were publicly confessing, "Lord, we trust you," because the water opened up and they stepped in the middle of this water being separated, and they said, "Lord, we trust you. And we're identifying with you, and we're going to walk through this with you." Those of you who were baptized on Sunday. It's an outward statement of an inward change. It's a public confession. So we saw they were delivered out of bondage by the blood of the Lamb, and now they've, you know, quote, made a public confession, been baptized, and now they're in the wilderness going through these trials, and God still has something greater for them. And God's desire was still that they would enter into the land of promise, and they're wandering around this dry wilderness missing out yet on God's highest. They're right there getting ready to go into the land of promise, and then they stop. And again to me such a picture of the world. Now, there's one more river to pass over, and that river is the Jordan. And the Jordan is a type, in my mind, of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because why do we live dry lives, struggling with our trials, not living our lives to the fullest for the kingdom of God? Because the Holy Spirit, while with us as unbelievers, now in us as born-again Christians, there's still something greater. The Holy Spirit can be upon us. Amen? And so often we struggle in that dryness of life because we have not crossed over the Jordan. We've come out of the Red Sea. We've been born again. We can have saved souls and wasted lives in a sense. That we're not living up to God's highest. God has more for us. We want to know God's highest. We don't want to just be on the cruise ship to heaven. You know? We want God to use us while we're here. And you've saved us for a reason. It's kind of like being caught between Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1, they were saved, they were born again, and they were hiding. Remember that? They're up there hiding, right? Scared to death. And then Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and what happened? Bold witnesses began to speak with other tongues, went outside and turned the known world right side up for the kingdom of God. And so often, too many Christians today are caught between Acts 1 and Acts 2. Yeah, I'm born again, yeah, I'm saved, but I'm fearful. When I'm at work, I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian, I, you, know, I, you know, hey, I got my get out of hell free card. It's in my wallet. It's been dated by Pastor Dave. There it is, right? I got it, right? And I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to stay here. I don't have to be radical. I don't have to give my life totally to God. I don't have to go full speed for Him. I can just, you know, this is good. I got the promise of heaven before me. But I want you to know, if that's where you are, there's so much more God wants to do with you. God wants to do so much more with your life. Can I tell you there's no greater joy than walking in the center of His will? There's no greater joy. There's no greater blessing than doing exactly what God's called you to do. Reuben and Gad are satisfied because they've been delivered, but yet they were not going to enter into all that God had for him. And again, describes much of the church saved, but, not, but having little or no impact on the world. Let me ask you a question. You know, I a youth pastor for 15 years. I used to ask the kids this all the time. If I followed you around with a video camera this next week, 24 hours a day for a week and videotape everything you said and everything you did, and then put you on trial for being a Christian, would they convict you? Would they see you praying? Would they see you sharing your faith? Would they see you in the Word? Would they see you being the spiritual leader in your home? Would they see you ministering to your kids? Or would they see you at work blowing a head gasket just like everybody else? Would they see your Bible collecting dust sitting on the bureau waiting for next Sunday? Would they see, what would they see? And so often, there's too many Christians living saved lives, but not living what God has called them to be. Now, all of what God has for you. God has more for us, you guys. Amen? And we should continue to grow until we die. That's God's highest. That's God's calling. Satisfied with the get out of hell free card, but still focused on the things of the world. You'll notice they saw the, the land. It reminded me a lot of Lot. Remember, they looked at the land and said, oh, this is lush. This is good feeding ground. We're not asking God. We're not praying. We're not seeking His face. It just looks really good to the physical. Oh, man, this has got to be the place. And too often we see people the same way. I just want to stay where I'm comfortable. I don't want to go further with the Lord. And As you've heard me say many times, Christianity's like a grease pole, either climbing up or sliding down. Nobody's standing in the same place. Amen? You're either growing in the Lord or you're falling away. And if you're going to grow, you need to pursue with your whole heart. Are you satisfied where you are, or do you want to go deeper with the Lord? Oh, God, only, God knows your heart. So the Spirit-filled life, number one, is by not just staying where you are and being comfortable there. And second of all, by having a heart to minister and encourage others. Look at verses 6 and 7. And Moses said to the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? So he turn and say, Guys, we've got battles in front of us. We're going to enter into the land of promise, but even when we're filled with the Spirit of the living God, still, for you and I today, there's still battles in front of us. And so the battles are still on the other side of the Jordan. You're going to stay back here and be napping out here in the land and not enter into the battle? And Moses comes to them and says, Guys, you need to be faithful. You need to be found working. Don't sit on the sidelines of the spiritual battle. It's been said that church is much like a pro football game you got 22 guys in the middle of the field battling out in desperate need of rest and 80,000 people sitting in the stands watching in desperate need of exercise. Amen? Too often you look at the church and there's these people just going for it full speed and everybody else is just kind of like, oh, that's pretty good, right on. <laughs> Praise the Lord, man, that was sweet, right? And kind of clapping for you, you know, give me a taco, clap for you. That kind of thing. And that's what happens so often in the church. You got a few people that are sold out for God, living it for Him. And these are the guys that say, we just want to kick it in the stands. We just want to stay over here on this side of the Jordan. We don't have to have all the God has for us. As long as we get into heaven, it doesn't really matter. Well, you know what? I don't want to just get into heaven. You know what? I want to serve my Lord with all my heart. You know what? He suffered and died that I might have eternal life. How can I not serve Him? Amen? How can I not live? He died for me. How can I not live my life for Him? That's God's desire and His plan for every single one of us. Are we going forward? Are we growing? Are we moving in the battle that's before us? Or do we retreat to our comfort zone and leave the battle in the hands of others? Verse 7. Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Moses knew if they retreated, so would others. Do you know that as Christians, the way that you respond will impact others? Amen? You know what, if you're a Christian at work, you may think you're the only one, you start standing up for God, and if there's anybody else that's saved, they'll stand up too. Too often, somebody's waiting for somebody else to make a stand for the Lord, amen? And he says, if you guys retreat, others are gonna retreat. If you fall back into the kicking back Christian life, on the cruise ship to heaven, then other people are going to line up right with you. And he said, You're, you know what? If we live in a spirit-filled life, we should be ministering to others and exhorting others to grow, not causing them to stumble, not causing them to reel back in their walk with God. We need to go forward, amen? And we need to be growing in Him and have a heart for Him. If you want to go deeper in your walk with God, be used mightily by Him, there's a sure way to discourage that desire. Start hanging around with believers who are content where they are and who won't press in to the kingdom of God, your, their complacency will rub off on you. You know, we should hang out with believers, but I want to hang out with people that love God more than I do. I do. I want to hang out with people that just can't stop talking about Jesus. I want to hang out with people that have a passion for Him above all else. Those are the people I seek out. You know, I've been on missions trips. And it's amazing. I'll go with a bunch of strangers sometimes, and I'll be on the plane, and I'll see somebody and go, that, that guy's on fire. I want, I want to stay close to the fire. How about you? Amen. Be around others who have a heart and a passion for God. Surround yourself with those who desire to go deeper. You know, I thought about somebody. I'm going to try to keep my composure here. My dad is almost 70. And my dad, as most of you know, just went to Calvary San Jose to be Mike's assistant pastor because my dad's heart is finished strong. My dad's heart is not retire. My dad's heart is not slow down. My dad's heart is not camp out outside of the Jordan, just relax till the Lord comes back. Right now, my dad's overseeing so many ministries, I can't even count them. He's going full speed and he, and he has so much joy. And the reality is that that, to me, I thought, wow, praise God for my dad. May I be like that. May I not retire or reel back, but may I get closer and closer to God the older I get and have a greater passion to finish strong for his kingdom, Amen. That's God's heart and His desire for us not to to reel back in the Jordan and just chill till the Lord comes back. You know what? Again, Christianity is not a cruise ship to heaven. It's a battleship anchored at the gates of hell. We are in a spiritual battle every single day. And that's what we battle with. And here's the good news. We win. Amen? The battle belongs to the Lord. We win. We're on His side. But may God use us. So the Spirit-filled life is not just staying where it's comfortable And and is having a heart to minister to those and encourage those around us to have a deeper walk. Verse 8, thus your fathers did when I sent them to Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For they went up to the valley of Eshgal and saw the land. They discouraged the heart of the children of Israel, so they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. He then flashes back to, to their fathers, to the first generation. And in a spirit-filled life, we do not follow the pattern of unbelieving parents and grandparents. Amen? We follow the pattern of the Lord. Can I tell you something? And I know some people get wigged out of Pastor Dave when I say it. Here's the reality. Every family's dysfunctional. All of them. Because they're all sinners. Amen? I said it on Sunday. Cain killed Abel. That was the first family. Brother killed a brother. That's it. And too often we want to say, well, I'm struggling in my walk because of something that happened with my grandparents. You know what? You're a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. All things have become new. Press on with the Lord. Amen? We don't have to keep going back and visiting and hashing that stuff up and talking about it. That's what psychology says, and psychology is so contrary to the Bible. Psychology says esteem self. The Bible says deny self. The Bible says esteem God. Amen? And so we pursue Him with our whole heart. And too often, what happens here is, well, your fathers did it this way. And this is what happened with your fathers. Don't follow them. Follow the Lord. Pursue God with your whole heart. Because of ten spies, your, your, par- your, your whole family, your parents, all died in the wilderness. Now you too are going to miss that on the same. Verse 10. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and He sw- swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt, from twenty years old and above, shall see the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me why did that first generation not enter the kingdom because they followed god halfway god has, doesn't want halfway followers amen there's a radical message tonight amen yeah. but here's the reality god doesn't want a bunch of lukewarm wannabe kind of christians There's enough of that in the world today. There's enough of the gospel being watered down and trying to meet the felt needs of the world and all the kind of stuff that happens. God's looking for men and women who'll say, Lord, you're first in my life and nothing else matters in comparison to you. I'm going to serve you with my whole heart because if we serve him halfway, that's no way. God says, give you my whole heart. Did he die for us halfway? Not at all. He loves us. He gave us all for us. God desires we give our all for Him. They missed out on God's hires, entering into the promised land because they did not serve Him wholly. Again, they listened to the words of woeful men instead of trusting the faithful words of Almighty God. Now look at this. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. She might be sitting here saying, but it's impossible to wholly follow the Lord. You know, you just can't do it. It's impossible. No, it's not. Because Caleb and Joshua did it, and so can you and I. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. It doesn't mean we're not going to sin, because we will. But the difference is we'll repent, and we'll be broken, and we will press on, and we won't want to retire, and we won't look to be comfortable. We'll wake up every morning saying, Lord, use me today. Use me for your glory. Lord, make my life count for you. Lord, I want to follow you with my whole heart. Lord, you want me to quit my job? I'll do it. Lord, you want me to sell my house? I'll do it. Lord, it's all yours. And having that kind of a heart, wholly following God, not something we do for an hour on Sunday and an hour on Wednesday, but serving with our whole heart 24 hours a day. These guys were not discouraged by the words of men. Why? Because they were following God with their whole heart. You know what? It doesn't matter what men say if your eyes are on the Lord. Amen? Men can say whatever they want, God's in control. Men can attack you, men can blast you, they can give you grief about your faith, and it's like, it doesn't matter because my eyes are on the Creator of the universe. Verse 13 through 15. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Isn't it interesting that there is a time to exhort people to holiness? Amen? And he looks right at them and says, you guys have risen to the same sinful place as your parents. You're you're right back in the same spot. You didn't learn by their failure." You know, they watched, as they were wandering through the wilderness as children, they were watching people drop dead every day. And they should have learned from it. And instead of learning from it, what do they do? They're following in the same path. It's the same as having a parent that maybe it's, you know, drinks all the time, or does drugs all the time, or, or, you know, curses all the time, or is abusive to your parents, or is lazy, whatever it might be. You can either learn from that, or you can follow in it. And these guys followed in it, right into the same path, and the Lord's anger was aroused against them. And again, Moses said, you have risen, you brood of sinful men. Now that probably went over real well. They're probably like, oh, thank you, Moses, God bless you, right? Remember, these guys were flipping on Moses every chance they got. And instead, he brings them and exhorts them, and again, for you and I today, Jesus must be more than just our Savior. He must be our Lord. Amen? Not just Savior, but Lord. And he's pointing these guys. Here's the circumstances that are coming if you camp outside, if you don't cross over the Jordan, if you don't wholly follow God, if you make Him kind of Savior, He's not your Lord. And he said, you guys are going to reap the consequences of it if you don't follow Him with your whole heart. It's not only okay, but it's our duty to lovingly admonish those who make a conscious decision to live contrary to God's will. Can I tell you that you absolutely have not only my permission, my endorsement, and my encouragement... If you see your pastor doing something that you think is grieving the heart of God, I would ask that you would please come talk to me. And I mean that with my whole heart. And you know what? Some of you in the past have shared things. This concerns me. And I'm glad. Please. You know what? That's what we ought to do. Amen? We ought to love each other enough to come put our arm around somebody and say, Bro or sister, I see this and, you know, it's grieves my heart. And can I pray for you? Or how can I encourage you? And that's what we ought to do. And that's what Moses does here. Now, how are they going to respond? Being confronted with their sin. What are they going to do? Look at verse 16 and 17. Then they came near to him, said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them into their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. So confronted with their sin, they come up with a compromise, a new plan. And what they say is, OK, you're bummed out that we won't go into battle with you. Here's what we'll do we'll send our guys out to battle with you but we want to stay over here in the comfortable land and we want to leave our family here we want to leave our kids here and we want to build a fortified city to protect them and then we'll come battle with you until the battle's been won and then we want to retreat back and live out here outside of the promised land out in this you know this green land out here now wow here's the thing what are what are they saying first of all they're building a fortified city and let me just tell you right now what that points to to me Let me ask you a question. Where's the safest place to be? In the center of God's will. Isn't it safer to be out in the front line with the Lord than hanging out back in the green pasture without Him? And they build a fortified city, and they say, we're going to trust in the fortified city instead of trusting in the mighty fortress, our Savior. We're going to trust in our possessions and trust in the land and have our cattle out there, and it's going to be great. And we'll go off and fight the battle, and when we come home, our city will be all set up, and we can just rest forever there. But God desires that we not only enter the battle, but that we bring our family with us. They want to leave their children behind. Too often in ministry, people do that or in, in their walk with God. You'll have a guy who's going to church seven days a week and his kids maybe make it once. Can I encourage you? Bring your family with you. Amen? You bring them with you. We have ministry for them. If we're having church, we've got stuff for your kids. Bring them. They need to be raised up in the truth. If you go on the mission field, whenever possible, take your kids with you. You know, we went to Israel this year. I took my kids with me. People thought I was crazy. They're blowing up bombs over there. I'd rather be in the mighty fortress than in the fortress at home. Amen? If God's called you, you're in the center of His will. You have nothing to fear. And so they said, let's keep our kids at home. we got a new plan. Keep our kids at home. We're going to build a fortress, and then we'll go battle. But when it's over, we're going to go back. You know, I it breaks my heart that I've seen a lot of people do this. Look at verse 18 and 19. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel received his inheritance. We will not inherit with them on the other side in the Jordan and beyond, because our inheritance has fallen to us on the eastern side of the Jordan. We're going to go over and fight, but then we're going to retreat to our comfort zone. You know, I've I've seen so many people that for a moment or a period of time have been sold out for God. And they go out and they're serving Him with their whole heart, and then all of a sudden the things of the world start getting in the way and they retreat back to their comfort zone. I've had friends I've been on the mission field with, and I've seen God use them in a mighty way, and I think, wow, God's got our hand on you, and they may even come home and be sold out for a while, and then time goes by, and got to buy a bigger house, and get a nicer car, and before you know it, right back in the comfort zone, and have missed out on God's calling for their life. Now again, it's okay to, to work at a job god wants us to the bible says a man who doesn't work shall not eat laziness is a sin in god's eyes we should do our job as unto the lord we should be the best workers there but the number one reason you're there is to be salt and light amen and too often we want to just and it breaks my heart because i look at people 10 years down the road and i'm like dude 10 years ago i was with you and i saw god's hand on you man it just breaks your heart god could be doing so many great things with you and it's like well you know got other stuff now that's more important And that's what's happening here. You know what? We're willing to compromise. We'll we'll take our inheritance outside of the land of promise. We'll take our inheritance outside of heaven. We're willing to give up the things that God would love to give us in heaven if we served Him with our whole heart, that we might have a more comfortable life here. I promise you that's what many Christians are doing. They're going to heaven, but they're trading away the rewards of heaven to have a more comfortable life here. You know, I, I miss church three out of four weeks because I'm on vacation. You know, I bought a new boat. I bought a new RV. I got a vacation house. I got this. I just don't have time for God right now. It just doesn't really fit into my schedule. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Amen? Not last. Not your leftovers. Not what's With your whole heart. It's time for radical Christian living. There's enough of it, You know, the cruise ship to heaven, the lukewarmness, there's enough of it. And too many churches in town, are we make church real short, and we don't talk too much about the Bible, and we don't want to tell people they're sinners, they might not come back, and let's water it all down. And you know what? There's enough of that. That's ear-tickling. Amen? We need to be sharing the truth, you guys. You need to go to work, and wherever you live, and be salt and light. They so desperately need you. Bring your family with you into battle. Don't leave them behind. Verses 20-27, Then Moses said to them, If you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord of War, for the war, and you armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies before him. And the land is subdued before the Lord. And afterward, you may return and be blameless before the Lord, before Israel. And this land shall be your possession before the Lord. God will never take me or force me to go deeper in my walk than I'm willing to go. There is God's permissive will. He will let you as a Christian just camp outside of Jordan. Camp on the other side of Camp outside of His perfect will for your life and just be at peace there. Do you know who loves that more than anybody? Satan. He loves somebody who's been born again and doesn't live like it. He loves somebody who's been born again that's just happy with their own salvation and doesn't have a burden for the lost. You know, God proved His heart for the lost in that He had one son and He made him a soul winner. Amen? And that's what God has called us to be, soul winners. And so we see here they were content. And God said, okay, you can have it. Verse 23, but if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. He's saying, you be faithful to your word. You go fight the battle until it's won. If you attempt to lie or deceive God, be sure your sin will find you out. In this case, the sin is doing nothing. If you just go back and camp back out under your fortress and you don't go out into battle, be sure your sin will find you out. We all know this, our sin has consequences. And we need to know that our sin will find us out. It will track us down, and it will find us out. It's amazing. Just in the last few weeks, some of the things that have come to mind. I just found out about a pastor that I knew and I respected. Not a Calvary Chapel pastor, but I just boggles the mind. They have pictures of this guy in a hot tub with women, topless. And he's a pastor, drinking wine. And I'm like, are you outside of your mind? And the reality is, he's been thrown out, he's lost his church, everything's been stumbled. And what happens, again, so easily, and so quickly, and your sin will surely find you out. Satan tries to tell you, you can sin and get away with it, God will forgive you. we have all heard that, right? Go ahead and sin, God will forgive you, right? Here's the reality, sin has consequences. Even though God forgives us for sin, we still reap the consequences of our sin, Amen. And it just breaks your heart and says, surely your sin will find you out. You know, may it make us think harder before we sin next time. Amen. You know when you're going to sin, don't you? Amen. Every time, right? Nobody slips into sin. Holy Spirit's going, no, 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 no. And you're, you just, you know, you do it anyway, right? That's how it is. I'm doing it, right? God will forgive you. God will forgive me, right? And you just go on and do it. Well, may we think next time sin has consequences. It separates me from my relationship with the Father. It makes it renders me ineffective to witness to others. It harms my testimony. Lord, help me not to sin. We're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen. As believers in Christ, and as we follow hard after him, we ought to cause us to pause when that temptation comes. So do the flesh, reap to the flesh. So do the spirit, reap to the spirit. Verse 24. Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do it What has proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, and all our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. Again, an obvious picture of God's perfect will, allowing them to set up camp outside of the land of promise. His promise. To Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was so clear, but the tribes of Gad and Reuben thought they knew better than God. Okay, God, we know that's your promise, but that's for those guys. We've got our own plan. And I know that I, I have to confess, I know I'm sure all of us, we know we've been guilty of that. Where we've thought we know better than God. People will come in and argue with me about what the Bible says about, the Bible says so clearly not to do it. Well, you know, you got to understand, I've got I a unique situation. No, you don't. No, you don't. He's God, you're not. Amen? I mean, the reality is so often it's this, this thing where we think that, well, I'm under special circumstances because of you know, my parents or because of my background or my financial situation, whatever it is. No, you don't. And what's happening here is these guys are like, well, that word's for you know, the, the 12 tribes. We're just two of them. Let them have it. We're just going to camp out here. Again, like so many Christians today who are willing to settle for less than God's highest, pursuing the comfort and ease of life, over being used in the battle for God's glory. Remember, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is, what is it? People. That's the only thing we're taking to heaven is people. And so often we think, you would think that we're taking our houses, (laughs) as much as we work on them and spend on them, amen? Especially around here, right? You think we're taking our cars, or some of us, you know, we work out our physiques, or whatever it might be. And the reality is, the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Now, We're almost done here. A spirit-filled life also has an eternal focus. Take a look at verse 28-32. through So Moses gave command concerning them to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over arm before the Lord into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inhabitants shall re- remain with us on this side of the Jordan. If they did not all enter into the battle, they would have no inheritance. The same is true for us, you guys. We will stand before God one day, and this blows my mind. I can't even believe it's true, but it is. And we should desire it because the Lord tells us we should desire it. God will give us rewards in heaven. Now, I can't even believe that because He died for me. He saved me. I can't do anything without Him. He puts His Holy Spirit inside of me. He gives me the gifts and He allows me just to simply respond in obedience. And then He rewards me for basically Him doing everything and me just saying, okay, Lord, use me, right? And then He wants to reward me in heaven. And so often I think, again, we we look at that and we we get cautious and say, well, I don't want to you know, seek rewards in heaven, but the Lord tells us we're to desire them. Now, I admit, you know, we say, well, I get to heaven, I'm not going to worry about it, but if God tells us to desire it, then when we get to heaven, we will, right? I mean, God has it for us for a reason. You know what? I want to stand before God, and I just want to hear seven words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Well done, thou, good and faithful servant. You know, he's not going to ask for my 401k, and he's not going to ask for anything else, but what have you done for me? What have you done for for my kingdom? And sadly, you see these guys here, who say, you know what, our inheritance, we'll go fight with you, but keep our inheritance outside of Jordan. Keep our inheritance in that place that is perishing. And too often, Christians, their inheritance is in the place that is perishing. They're storing up stuff that's going to burn. They're storing up stuff that's wood, hay, and stubble, and they're missing out on the kingdom. They don't have time to serve God because they're working on their house. They don't have time to serve God because they're working overtime on three jobs so they can make more money, so they can have more stuff that's all going to burn anyway. Amen? Don't have time for God. It's time for us to have time for God. Make time for God. Give Him the first fruits of our time. And Reuben and Gad said, we'll go into battle. But you know what? We're going to stay back over here on the temporal side. Last few verses. So Moses gave the children of Gad to the children of Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the king of Sion, the king of the Amorites, the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land with its cities within the borders and the cities surrounding the country. Do You notice something that happened here? Along with Reuben and Gad, somebody joined them. Half of the tribe of Manasseh, what happened? Compromise brought compromise in the hearts of others. Because they compromised their faith, people saw it and said, well, man, it is comfortable over there. And that land looks really sweet. We've got some cattle. Why do we have to go over the Jordan and fight a bunch of battles? Why don't we just retire? We've been through enough. Let's just hang out over here and just relax. And when we back up in our walk with God, we cause others to do the same. Their, impact, their compromise impacted others. There are people that are watching you. There are people watching how you respond. You know what's interesting? Why did they pull back? Because they had cattle. And as we will see later, this land that they requested, this land they thought was so great, is going to be overrun by paganism. Nine out of ten Gentile cities on that side of the Jordan are all going to be pagan. We're going to see that they're going to lose everything. And you know what? When you get up to the time of Jesus... Those cattle have become pigs. Because if you remember the story of Mark chapter 5, when Jesus comes over into the area of the Gadarenes, what do they find? Pigs. They're herding pigs. The cattle's gone. Their lives have been fruitless. Why? Because they camped outside of the land of promise. Because they weren't wholly sold out for God. Because they didn't put God first and now their cattle have turned to pigs. Not only that, there's a demon-possessed man running all over the place who's unchained. They can't take care of the guy. They can't handle him. And it isn't until the Lord shows up. Demons are living in their land. There's demons living there, and they're herding pigs. How did that work out, choosing the land outside of Jordan? Not too good. And the same is true for us. If we choose less than God's highest, we're going to be a bunch of pig farmers, right? (laughs) You know, sometimes we look at our children and we wonder why they're struggling and we can't chain them down and we can't keep them in place. We're like the Gadarenes. We've got demonized men and herding pigs because we have not put God first. We didn't take our kids into battle. We didn't bring them into God's highest. We weren't wholly sold out for the Lord. I'm not going to read the rest of the verses because I want to make a point, but I want to say this. Some of the city names that they established, here's what some of them mean. Wasting, ruins, a thorn, hidden house of rebellion, place of weeping, and then two of them are named after Babylonian deities. How's this working out? Not too good. Not too good. Because they compromised They didn't say, Lord, I give you all of my heart. I give you all of my life. Leaving your cattle and kids behind, turn them into pigs, and they were out of control. They couldn't be chained. They couldn't be restrained. Bring them with you into the land of promise. So by way of review, and you can look through the names of the cities there, but by way of review... The Spirit-filled life is living a life that will count in eternity. Think about this for a second. What have you done this week that will have an impact on eternity? Don't say it out loud, but just think about it. What have you done this week that will impact eternity? What have you done today that will impact eternity? Number two, in a Spirit-filled life, you fight the battles that God has placed before you. We don't run away from spiritual battles. We look at them as opportunity. You know there's divine appointments every single day in your life. Did you know that? And, you, and one of the things you can do to make a difference in eternity, pray in the morning, Lord, show me the divine appointments in my life today and help me to respond in obedience. A spirit-filled life, you must have a spirit-filled life to go deeper in your walk with Him. You must have a spirit-filled life to be satisfied, to not be satisfied where you are spiritually. May we never be satisfied with where we are spiritually. May you never get to the point where you think you've arrived. Because if you do, you've missed God. And it's in a spirit-filled life that we pursue God passionately with our whole heart, to live a life that will not be dry but fruitful and impact others. Now, how do we do that? How do we have a life like that, that impacts eternity? A life that fights the battles, a life that goes deeper in the walk with God, a life that is not satisfied with where you are spiritually, a life that isn't dry but is fruitful, a life that, that passionately pursues God. What did they have to do to enter into the land flowing with milk and honey? They had to pass over the Jordan. For you and I to have lives that would supernaturally impact the world and and to do it in a radical way, we must be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you, Acts chapter 1, what are they doing? They're hiding. They're fearful. Holy Spirit comes upon them. What happens immediately? Boldness. When you meet somebody that's filled with the Holy Spirit, don't you know it? amen you meet him and you go oh then holy spirit's got to hold that guy or that gal right amen now theologically you can call it the baptism of the holy spirit the infilling of the holy spirit the indwelling of the holy spirit whatever you want to call it just get it amen and the reality is that you see times in the word where they pray yet again for the baptism of the holy spirit and pastor don people used to ask him pastor don why do you repeatedly pray for the baptism of the holy spirit he said because i leak amen And so often in our walk, we do, you know, we, we pass over the Jordan and we can be like these guys go into the battle and retreat back outside of the Jordan and camp out where it's comfortable and have our eyes back on the world again. But the good news is we can get back up and cross right back over. Amen. And enter back into that battle and let God use us for his glory. Holy spirit upon you. The word there is dunamis It's where we get the word dynamite or dynamic. It's an explosive life that impacts the world around it. If you're made out of dynamite, you're going to have an impact on people. Amen? It's going to be explosive. Lord, show me. Ask this question of yourself. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, show me if I'm on cruise control, happy to be where I am. Lord, show me if I'm complacent in my walk. Lord, show me if I've left my first love. Lord, show me if I'm giving up the best, pursuing that which is good. You know what? I didn't plan on doing this, but, I, I, but we're going to. If you're here tonight... And especially if you've never done it. You've never, you've never even fully understood it. Holy Spirit with you prior to salvation. When you are born again, the Holy Spirit came in you. But you know what? There's something subsequent to that. The Holy Spirit being upon you. If you look in Luke, Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit into them, and then yet they went in Acts and waited for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Some of them said, oh, no, no, I'm telling you, it's subsequent. Because if you look at the Bible, He was breathed into them in Luke and came upon them in Acts. Maybe He's been breathed into you, but He hasn't come upon you. Maybe the reason you're dry and you're struggling in your walk with God is you need less of you and more of the Spirit of the living God dwelling within you. So what I want to do, if that's your heart, and you've, maybe you've never done it, or maybe you have, but you know you need to do it tonight, I want you to stand up and I want to pray for you. Just stand up where you are. Don't be ashamed. And I'll pray for you. Praise the Lord. God bless you. God bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that you promise in your word that if we will simply ask for your Holy Spirit to be poured upon us, that, Lord, you will baptize us afresh in your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for each person who is standing, Lord, as we stand before you, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon them in a mighty and a powerful way. The Lord, as your Holy Spirit comes upon them, that you would equip them to go out and to to live that life sold out for you. Lord, to be holy, following you with their whole heart. Lord, to be bold for you. Lord, to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit that it says in Galatians, that love and joy and peace and kindness that impacts the world around them. Lord, we know so often with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the world looks for signs. But Lord, the greatest sign of somebody being baptized in the Holy Spirit is a life that's been transformed a life that's different, with the passions that change, a burdens that change, a heart that's different, Lord, a, a desire to serve you above all else. So, Lord, I ask for everyone who's standing, myself included, Lord, that you would baptize us afresh in your spirit. Lord, may we die to ourselves, be filled with you, and used for your kingdom that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's close with the worship song.